What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Kim Congdon Takeover. I'm Kim Congdon, and I'm so excited about my guest. He's my uncle. He's the fucking man. You know him. It's Joey motherfucking Diaz. What's up, Kim? <laughs> Hi. Thanks for calling in. It's Fuck good yeah. I've been trying to see you talk to you. It's been a while. It has been a while. The last time I saw you got groped and shit. And I want to <laughs> apologize to you again because it had nothing to do with me, you know. Not my molestation. <laughs> that was, I'll tell you what, though, that groping, it got me my blue check mark on Instagram. Did it? <laughs> it did. You know, it it's did. funny that you put, a, you put a post up a couple of weeks ago that you've been to four skank fests and nobody's ever groped you. I'm like, God damn it. And she came to one of my shows and she got groped. How bad do I fucking feel? Did you ever hear the details of that story? How that guy pretended he was blind after he groped me? It's kind of comical. Yeah. It was fucking crazy. It was. That's New York City, though, Kim. And those are the effects of your leather pants. <laughs> to, to... Blind, but you fucking hypnotized him with those pants. So I'll tell you, he was blind, but he found the spot. <laughs> yeah. Even, hey, bro, you know, those blind motherfuckers, they know exactly where it is. Uh, someone, uh, there's this comic in Philly, Tim Butterly, that was talking about it. And he was like, he roasted me on stage about it, talking about how I got touched at one of your shows on Broadway. And he was like, Kim's a victim, but that guy's finger still smells. <laughs> it's like so mean. So now people are roasting me about my own touch. Sarah Weinshank was there. She saw it happen. She tried to buy me, you know, those Disney balloons that are like clear with the lights in them that they give to little kids at Disney. She tried to buy me one of those after I got touched. And I was like, no, I'm good with the balloons. And now every time I see one, I think of it, it really does come back to you in a fucked up way. But I did kick that guy's ass. That was pretty awesome. You still training? I haven't trained in like six months, but I'm about to go back. How come? Um, Because I just was enjoying like getting my nails done and having my hair be nice and not having a black eye every week. All right. I'm down with you, but I know you like I it. I like it a lot, but I feel like I got to look like a woman sometimes. <laughs> no, I'm I, I would have a black eye and a limp. I would have like arm, like finger bruises on my arm. People would be asking me if I get abused all the time. So I was like, I'm going to take a break. I did some yoga, some steam room, some, and now I'm going to go back. I'm ready. It's crazy. There's some girls at my school. And after we roll, like I look over at them and their hair is all fucked up. You know, their geese are pulled off. <laughs> Especially when two women go at it. They fucking go at it over there. Oh, my God. Yeah. We at least always have two girls in class. And they're older. Like, one's a mom and the other. Both of them are moms. Yeah. Just sit there and fucking go at it. I'm like, why? Then they just get up and leave. Like, nothing happened. Then there's another girl that's a jailer. This chick works at a fucking prison, a Broadway prison in Jersey. So she comes to the lunchtime class. She's a purple belt. But that's well, why good. she goes. She needs it. Yeah, she needs it in there, dog. Whoa. Yeah, I get it must be tough working in a prison. I've heard that there have been people who work at prisons and like the inmates will throw like jizz at them and shit. You know, you've been you've been you've been uh in the tank. Yeah, but I never went <laughs> I never went to a prison with animals like that. Only for like three or four days I was in you, those uh was, You were in casual bad boy prison. That's when you're kind of a bad boy. Well, for two weeks, you got to go to a place called Diagnostic. Okay. And that's, you don't sleep at night because it's four four floors, 200 cells, 
And if you think brothers talk at the movie theater, <laughs> they talk all night in prison, Jack. They will talk all night. Yo, Donnell, what up? Nothing. What up with you? And this is all night long. And one guy's on the fourth floor and the other guy's on the first floor. So it's fucking hysterical. But no, the guards were cool. I never had a beef with any of them. No. I feel like I watch those prison shows and I always feel like I would do really well in a prison. I don't know why I feel like every time I watch one of those shows, I feel like I'm like, I feel like I would be a little bit happy in there. <laughs> I was physically fucking scared before I went in. So I did everything I could physically to be in the best possible shape I was. And then it was like one of those things you walk into a place and you expect for something to happen. And the experience I had was completely fucking different. Why? Like it was just completely different. Because it was, I had to go to a hard place for two weeks. And then, I mean, the first jail I went to, we played handball every day with our clothes on. Like, not even jail clothes. We okay. had like short t-shirts and our own sneakers. And we'd order groceries from Albertsons at night. And they'd bring potato chips and onion dip and fucking sandwiches. That's a country club. Then I went to a hard place for two weeks. Then I went to like a minimum place that was okay. And then for my final destination, I went to a prison camp for seven months. They really move you around a lot. But the prison camp, the shit, I was bookmaking in there. I was doing what I thought was something else, but it was it was stand-up comedy. Wait, what's bookmaking? Bookmaking, like taking bets on Monday Night Football and Sunday football. Oh, you were living. You were fucking bookmaking. You were doing stand-up. You were probably getting ripped. I was getting what? Ripped, doing push-ups, sit-ups. Ripped. I was getting some whiff. I I worked in the kitchen, so I would have my days off on Monday and Tuesday, and I could have visitation on those days so there'd be nobody else in there. And I'd have my girlfriend come in with no panties on the skirt. And, and then I'd make what? a stand-up monkey while she looked out to see if the guards were coming. No, you were just sneaking, eating puss? <laughs> yeah, and I was doing stabbing in there, everything, every Monday. <laughs> no way. She would bring me food from the outside. Yeah. Yeah, she'd bring you yeah. food. Did you guys have sex? Yeah. Every Monday and Tuesday. Wow. They really don't care that much. They act like they care. They don't really watch. That's why I took my visitation on Monday and Tuesday. Because there's people that take it on Saturday mm. and Sunday. And I got to tell you something. They fuck right in there in front of everybody else. With their kids yeah. and shit. They're fucking animals in jail. They'll put a chick on the lap and start dry humping. I saw people getting blowjobs on a Sunday. Not on a Sunday. Oh, fuck yeah. That's the best dick sucking day there is. <laughs> A little ball lick before church makes it all a lot better. It does make you feel better when you wash away the sins if you have a fresh sin on you. Yeah. You go in there, you go with a a fucking, you go to church with a freshly, with a freshly sucked cock. You're fucking, you're jumping up and down, you're eating the cookies. You're putting money in the offering. Suddenly there's a hundred dollar bill. Yeah. 20 to the guy next to you. So, but I got to be honest with you. I'm not in the stand-up world no more that much, but I do follow you, and I live vicariously through you. Like, I'm watching what you're doing. Like, you went from doing single nights mm-hmm. and stuff out, and now you're doing weekends. You know, I see how much fun you're having, and I got to tell you, man, you're having the time of your life. 
I am. And that little Jew girl, she's getting crazy and crazy. That's why I love her. With the fucking glasses and shit. She is out there. She needs a TV show. Both of you need a talk show on HBO. I know. We're working on it right now. <laughs> really, you guys really fucking work well together. Yeah, we've been doing it together for almost 11 years now. I've been doing stand-up for 10 and a half years. So. And you've known her for those 11 years? I met her like the first week I started doing stand-up and we were both doing the Kill Tony podcast and we both became regulars on it. So we would do a new minute every week at the end of the show and we did that for two years together, our first two years of stand-up pretty much. Yeah, so what I've been around years, What do you feel like now? What, what do you feel like? Remember when you were doing comedy five years and there's always that one stupid motherfucker that's like, yeah. so how long have you been doing comedy? Five years? And they're like, Psh, wait till you've been doing it for 10 years. And you're like, yeah. Bitch, I'll be a lot better than you. And then you oh hit my 10 God. years. Then you hit 10 years. I remember Mitzi Short told me once, she's like, wait till you start doing comedy past 20 years. That's when it really connects with you. Really? Like, can you imagine doing comedy 18 years? No, I can't. What the fuck? <laughs> and then I hit 20 years, and I was like, that's crazy. And then I hit 30 years. That's and that's when you nuts. know you got problems. And I know that like guys like D.L. Hughley, Joe Rogan, all those guys started before me. I was an MC when D.L. was already headlining. Wow. So, you know, it's it's really weird when you put it into years. And yeah, nope, everybody up. has a different journey, Kim. Everybody has a different journey. You might not do dick for 20 years. You're about to quit. And all of a sudden, Steven Spielberg calls you for a a three picture deal. You don't know. Yeah. You don't fucking know. That's why we that's why we hang out like spiders. You don't <laughs> fucking know. We hang around LA like spiders. That is exactly what comedians do. They just hang out in a little web waiting for their fucking time to shine. Yeah. Waiting to get and then when you look at it now, I look at all the younger guys, and it's a conveyor belt. You get to LA, you hustle, you hustle, and then you're on the you're on the belt. Now they build around you. Now in two years, then you got an agent, then you got a manager, then oh, you got a commercial, then you got a spot in a TV show, then you get a reoccurring, then you start touring. It's it's getting on that fucking conveyor belt. Yeah, it's really crazy. Um, I remember when I first started when I was two years in, I was like, Oh, I'll be famous in four years. I remember thinking like, I remember having an argument with my ex-boyfriend and I was like, I'm going to be famous in four years. He's like, you're not. And I was like, I'm going to be famous in four years. And now here I am 10 years later, like thinking about that story and how dumb I sounded. You don't, you really don't realize how much it's just mostly time. It's just waiting and cooking is a lot of it because I'm a completely different person than I was even then 10 years ago. And, and I do feel like probably around year seven, I my first six years, I was really happy in stand-up. I was like, this is the best thing in the world. And then years seven through 10, this bitterness started to happen where I was like, people would be like, people would come up to me after shows and be like, you crush. And I'd be like, cool, get me a job. Like I'd start getting pissed about it. Like the compliments were, you hear for so many years, you're the most talented person. You're the best. You're going to make it. And then you're, eventually you're like, well, fucking give it to me. I'm so tired of hearing the offer and it not coming. And then now I'm in this weird thing where I'm still not getting huge offers, but I don't care anymore. Like my manager will call me and he'll be like, do you want to submit for just for laughs? I'm like, you can, I'm not going to go out of my way and give them a tape. I'm over it. 
I can, I can only, and it's, it's this weird thing. So I think that's probably right before good things start happening is right when you stop caring as much. Um, I hope. Like I had quit comedy in 19, uh-huh. in 2009, I got married. I was doing stand up, maybe, I don't know, 18 years. And I gotta be honest with you. Yeah. I did some movies. I did some TV shows. I was headlining. I opened up on the road for Rogan. I was having a great time with those guys. But I didn't feel like it was moving at the pace I wanted it to. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to get a job in North Hollywood selling Fords. And I could do spots at the Ha Ha. And I'll just acting. I'll do a little acting. When Rogan needs me, I'll go open for him. I was pretty content with that. Yeah. And then something happened that was amazing. The podcast world came in. And I was able to tell my story, which I always knew if I could tell my story, I'll get some traction on that. And I was right, you know? Yeah. So I was ready. Like, I wasn't ready to quit, but I just felt I was burnt out. I'd already done my time at the store. I'd already done. And all of a sudden you go on a podcast, you tell a story about mugging a hooker. And the next thing you know, people come into your show and you're like, I did Adam Sandler movies and nobody came to Uh. my show. It's crazy. I recurred the NBC show and nobody, because when I got into the business, they said, you go to LA, you recur on like a show for like six episodes yeah. and on the rest of the time, you're on the road. They'll put you on the road. Dog, I did 20 shows and nobody fucking wanted to put me on the road. It's amazing how everybody's journey is different. Mm-hmm. You can't sit there and look at a guy and go, we started together. Yeah. We should be at the same place. No, you're not. No, you're not. Things are going to happen. She went and had a baby. He went and fucking had to go take over his dad's business for a year. But he kept writing. And she kept writing. You know, things happen. It's not by years. I don't Mm. look at it as years. I look at it as as moments. This is what you got into it. (laughs) And now you got to finish it up. Yeah. What are you going to do to stay in this the rest of your life? So you don't, uh, and I don't care how you do. Listen, if, if you have a dream, like somebody called me a couple of weeks ago and they were like, hey, man, are you back on the road? I'm looking for somebody to take you on the road. He goes, I really miss doing kind. I go, listen, I'm not going on the road. I don't know what to tell you. But if you really want to do comedy, I know people making 20 grand a month on a fucking ship. Oh, I don't know if I could do that then you don't really want to do comedy. Right. You know, if you don't want to do that, if you're a comedian, you want to do comedy, whatever works for you. I don't care if it's in the back of a Greyhound bus. You know, I don't care. Look at in prison. I started on a Wednesday night. Yeah. I I didn't even know I was doing stand-up. I would just go on... The projector would break. and I Would Would you have like a a crowd in front of you of prisoners watching? 80 fucking prisoners. No! The place had like 96 prisoners, white, black, and Latino Mexicans. So we would watch a movie on Tuesday, Wednesday night, whatever fucking night it was. And the projector would always break. It was an old school projector. So I worked in the kitchen, right? I I worked in in the prison kitchen. So when people would come in, I would tell them what not to eat, what to eat. Like if you were my dog, I'd say, Kim, don't eat the meat tonight. Right. And I would I go, don't do it. And, would, <laughs> and, the, and the prison chef would look at me and go, 
Joseph Diaz, don't say that to the prisoners. And I would tell them, don't do it. So for me goofing on the prisoners in there, the word got out. And whenever I would be in there, they yell, Cuba, get up there and tell some stories. And I would go up there and just, I would do Def Jam. I would just goof on the black guys. Look at this black dude with freckles. Look at this black. And then they all jumped in. We were all a part of it. So that's wow. how it started. I didn't know I was doing stand-up. I thought stand-up was with a shirt and a tie. And, you know, you had a, like a fucking microphone. Little did I know that I was doing the hardest, the hardest aspect of stand-up. Truly the hardest. No microphone, no control. You know, when you don't have no microphone, you got no control. That's what makes you different from the rest of the room. I did not know this shit. I was just green as fuck. And I was just, you know, these guys want me to go up there and crack some jokes. It's so bizarre when you're made to do something, how you just naturally do it. Like, no matter what, I just went on vacation for nine days. I told myself, I was like, no stand up at all. I'm not doing any stand up. I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not here to entertain. And then most nights I was in a jacuzzi making like random people laugh for the whole night. And they'd be like, we haven't laughed this much in years. And I'm like, damn it. I'm still accidentally doing it. Even if I'm there and I'm trying not to, it's crazy that when, when you're obsessed with it, you have to do it. I told you, if you want a room in Hawaii, let me know. I'll make a coffee. I know like three people do comedy in Hawaii. Oh my God. I just went to Hawaii and it changed my life. I almost didn't come back. I almost got myself pregnant by a local and stayed there forever. I was close. I was close to giving it all up. There was a 76 gas station in Kauai that was hiring cashiers. And I legitimately took a picture of the thing because I was like, maybe I'll just never leave. It's so crazy. The thoughts we get in our mind. We're so free as comedians. I remember yeah. going to any town. Like I'm the type of guy, if I go to Houston. Yeah. Saturday, I'm moving there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm moving there. I go to Houston. I'm moving there. Me too. I come home and I'm like, what the fuck? Am I retarded? <laughs> I do the same thing. I go to New Mexico. I'm moving there. Same. You know, when I did the longest yard, I did it in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is fucking beautiful. There's no way I could have afforded to rent down there. No, we're impulsive. No, nah, the whole time I'm down there, I'm like, oh, I'm going to move down here. Fuck Hollywood. I'm going to come down here. Oh. And <laughs> But, you know, you, once you get home on Monday, you're like, I can't fucking move right now. <laughs> I'm tired. I got to go to my scene study class on Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't. It's potluck night at the store. <laughs> I can't go to Kauai. It's so fucking crazy, the barriers we give ourselves. Like, I just moved back here and people started inviting me to weddings. And I got to tell you something. I remember when I first got into comedy, like three years in. I flew myself back here for a friend's wedding. And they were snorting coke. You know, women were taking their tops off. Fun wedding. It was a crazy wedding. But the whole time I'm like, fuck, I wish I was in Denver doing stand-up. Like, this sucks. You know, yeah. and now I'm getting all these invites for weddings. And I'm like, I'm not a wedding guy. <laughs> and I'm not doing, like, I got to go to one on the 18th or something. I'm looking forward to that one. But besides that, like, I never went to a wedding for 30 fucking years. I never did half the things people did while I was doing stand-up. because I like that too. Because I didn't want to fucking cry later on. I didn't want to cry, you know. And I, when, I, when I lived back there, my first 10 years, 
a lot of comics would call me. How come I don't get a spot at the store? How come I'm not a regular at the store? How come I don't get this? How come I don't get that? And I tell them, listen, there's a gig. I'm one of those comics calling you. <laughs> yeah, there's a gig on Saturday. No, it wasn't you. There's a gig on Saturday night. Come by. And then I would call them Monday and go, you didn't come by. Well, my girlfriend's parents were in town. So I went out to dinner with them. Wait a second. You were just fucking calling me a week ago, complaining that you don't have spots. Now your girlfriend's fucking family comes in and you got to go eat dinner with them. What the fuck are you talking about? See, uh-huh. I didn't even think of that shit. Like in my world, I never thought about when you invited me to a party on Saturday nights, I automatically said, no, I'm not going to make it because I'm doing stand up. Well, yeah. you don't know that yet. Trust me. I'm doing fucking stand up. I don't have a gig yet, but I have one by Saturday. Even yeah. if it's a guest spot. So before I got to drop a hundred, come to your stupid party, talk to your mom, talk to your dad and a bunch of other ugly people. Pass. <laughs> I'd rather make 15 bucks, eat a bag of dicks, and eat some <laughs> onion rings and go home. How's that for you? It's so true. to this. After 30 years, I didn't have a fucking life. People gave up on me in like 2000. People just stopped asking me. I started comedy in 91. It took them like nine years to really go, wow, this kid's fucking serious. I am fucking serious. <clears throat> you know, when you do this, you got to be all the way in. Or yeah, it's I, I was in Hollywood for 23 years. I heard all the stories. I heard all the excuses. But then I see a girl like you at the store every night hustling a spot up at the fucking belly room. And then I see you running out of there. And you're headed somewhere else to do a spot. But then there's 10 people that'll tell you they can't. When I was in LA, there were these, you know, they started this thing against the store. That women weren't getting love at the store. You know, listen, I was at the store for 20-something years. And Mitzi Shaw was the fucking queen of women. That's what, you know, that's what she did in there. But people were telling me that they had to go to New York on the weekends to get a spot. Really? You mean to tell me you live in L.A., but you go to New York on the weekends to get a spot because they won't yeah. give you one? You're fucking full of shit. First of all, it's a if you if you can fly to New York as a new comic for week, casual weekends, you're already doing better. You're doing fine. You're already not struggling like a comedian struggles. I wouldn't have had I couldn't afford a fucking plane ticket until four years ago. So there was no flying to New York on the weekends. And it's true. It's like when it comes to stand up, it's so unsaturated for women. There's so there's so much room, especially with like all the shit about like women needing equality and the feminism thing that happened. I was like, it's even bigger opportunity for you to show up to a club and be like, I need a spot like there's there's room. I mean, I'm just speaking for myself. I truly have never really had trouble. I, I just I, I, for me, I, I went to as many as I could. Like you said, if I didn't get up at the store, I was gone in 10 minutes and I was going to Santa Monica and I was going to the open mics. I was at fucking Marty's paying $5 a day and he would have three. It was his home attached. Do you remember Marty's the open mic? Yeah, it was $5. You'd go in and you could stay all day and he'd have three different rooms. And it was just like comedians watching each other like three comics in a chair waiting for their turn to get up and you'd go to those different rooms and perform for two three sometimes no people just into a mic you know when you when you think of the things you did in the beginning and you tell people they don't believe you like they're like what well you did what i remember 
doing comedy two years, Kim, and coming back here. Broke. Like fucking, I was maybe doing comedy three years. I had fucked up my job in Boulder. I got mm-hmm. divorced. Came back here. And I used to go to a place where the open mic started at 11. P.M. You'd sign up and they'd tell you, come back at 2.30. So I drove a limo. So I would have to pick Chinese people up at Kennedy Airport. I'd drop them off. I'd get there and they're like, you still got an hour before you got to go up. It's 3.30 in the morning. No way. Six drunk people there. I can't tell you. All right. Maybe twice I was on stage and I saw a hooker giving a guy a hand job under the table. It was called Ye Old Triple In. It was like $3 to get on stage. And he's just getting jerked off during your set. Oh, jerked <laughs> off under the table. You see the hand. She tried to put like a napkin on it to fucking like a magician. I saw the napkin going <laughs> up and down like a little ghost. No, it sucks. Yeah, dude, the shit that we I've done to do stand up, even during COVID, I was in a fucking window at this. You couldn't you couldn't keep comics out of stand up. They were doing Zoom shows. I mean, the the way that like if you're a comedian and you want to do it, you have to do it. You have to do it. You have to. There's no other choice. I would love I would love nothing more in this world than to quit right now. Go find a husband. Go get pregnant. Just kind of fucking wash the dishes and do laundry. That sounds great. But then when I go and do that, the whole time, like during COVID, I met a guy and I was like, maybe I'll just, like we talked about getting married and stuff. I was really into him. He was really sweet. And then the second that they were like, we're doing window spots at the store. I was like, I remember the day I got the text, I like looked at him and I was like, oh, I have to leave. Like there was no question about it. And it's crazy how, I mean, you, you really can't not do it once you start it and you're into it. I remember one time I got shit on on this Facebook group. I was like in this like females of comedy face group group that I had to leave because it became obnoxious. But one girl posted, she's like, sometimes I just feel like I don't really want to do it and I don't try hard. And everybody was like, you need a mental break. You need a mental break. And I remember everyone shit on me because I just wrote in, if you don't want to do it, find something else you want to do. Stop wasting your... I see people waste 20, 30 years with their foot fucking halfway in the door at stand-up. I'm like, go find the thing you love. You don't love it. You just are scared to leave to try and find the thing you love. It's so weird how much I loved it. And when the pandemic hit, I was like, I'm not getting back on stage for a while. Like, that was crazy, Kim. But you did your time. You fucking did it. Oh, you know, I remember you were just talking about nights off. I got to L.A. January of 98. The first time I took a night off was in 2005. Wow. If I had a spot at the store, I made that fucking spot. The only way I would cancel is if I got caught at one of the Mexican rooms down in uh, Orange County or something like that, I would be running late. (laughs) Those days, my goal was 30 spots a month. That's two spots a fucking day, you know. Mm There was no days off. Mm-mm. I still remember taking that day off and feeling like a fucking loser. And then there were nights I didn't have a spot at the store. Like on a Tuesday night, I wouldn't call in for the store when we first got there. But I would still go down there. And every Tuesday that I didn't have a spot, but I went out, I always came home with something. A card, an agent, VD, an eight ball of Coke. Every time I went on Tuesday, and it was yeah. just it. it when, once I saw that, I'm like, I'm not staying home any nights. 
Yeah, I love that you said that. I'm not staying home. I still remember flying back from like Florida and being in a plane all fucking day and landing at the airport and taking a cab to the fucking store with your luggage to get that spot for that night. Because no matter what happened all day, you still got to do a fucking spot tonight. Like and it's crazy. Tired, this in the store had no food. Yeah. There was nothing. You go there and you'd have to wait for your spot and then go to Pink Dot and get a fucking sandwich. But I right. couldn't dream of not doing a spot. No. And it doesn't even matter what's going on. I could be having the worst day. I could have just flown a red eye and been so tired. And the whole day I'm going, oh, I got a spot. I got a spot. I can't believe I have to go to the spot. And the second I get there, it's like you get the energy back. You feel good. Your friends are out. You're smoking a joint. You're hanging out with the funniest. I mean, to be blessed to hang out with the funniest people in the world, I think about it all the time. Like, uh, last night, you, you know, Lucas Hurl, he's a bartender at the comedy store. I'm driving home 2 a.m. last night. I pull up to a red light. I see him. I roll down my window. I waved him. He's like, what's up? He's like, you coming to the store for Halloween tomorrow? I go, yeah. Uh, uh, and I go, what are you going to be for Halloween? He goes, I'm thinking, I forgot what he said. He said, I'm thinking either Hulk Hogan or Gim Gimbit. Am I right when I say that character? Gimbit? Gambit. And I go, oh, okay, well, if you're, and I made a joke, I go, if you're the Hulk, you have to say the N-word. And right before, right when the light hits screen, he goes, I'll probably say it if I'm Gambit too. <laughs> and he just takes off. And I'm like, comedians are just so funny. That would never, I go to my small town, I have a conversation and I'm like, it's weird how you get trauma bonded with comedians. If I go to a different town, I'm around what I call civilians, regular people who aren't comics for a long time. And I see a comic, even if we're not close friends, it's like we're like we attach right then. It's me and that comic hanging out for the rest of the night. It doesn't matter if we've never hung out before because it, it is like a crazy bond and understanding of the lifestyle. It's very weird. Not even the lifestyle. I got to tell you what I encountered when I came on here. And I'm really embarrassed about this, but you're going to some people will understand. Some people go, Joey's a dickhead. After about being here nine months, I had a hard time talking to civilians. Especially if they told me a story. Mm, they're so long. And one day I came home and I'm like, I don't know what's bothering me. I wouldn't tell my wife. And I'm like, you know what it is? Comics have timing. They know when to edit. When you're around people who don't know how to edit and don't have timing, it's brutal. It sucks. I, I miss the people more than California. Because when I came here, I had to get to know people all over again, mm -hmm. like civilians. And I didn't mind. I love them. I'd rather be around them than some of the creeps we're around in California. Yeah. Because I, I know where I'm, I stand with these people. But it was yeah. so hard sometimes talking to them because they wouldn't edit. They didn't. They just don't know. A lot of the times they'll start telling a story. And in the beginning of the story, I know the end of the story already. Like I'm, I already know the fucking story from the first two words you said, but they go into all the details and like all the things that matter. And then they're shifting off to the side. And I want to be like, this is what I do. This is a good, if you get impatient with people and you hate listening to their stories and you already have the ending, this is what I do. They start telling me a story. So then I go and I'll go, let me guess. And I'll just say the end. And sometimes it helps. I go, let me guess. She went to the store and you caught her and she'll be like, yes. 
And if you're lucky, they'll leave it there. But some people go back and they're like, yeah, I went to the store. And I'm like, no, she's going back. It is. It's tough listening to a story when you're hanging around with people that can really cut the fat out of one and tell the best parts. Crazy. I never thought I would say those things. Somebody said it to me once and I'm like, this dude's fucking retarded. He's been in Hollywood too long. And then when I got here, I was having a hard. I have my brother won't shut the fuck up. Like I have my sister. My sister's the same way. You about shit that you're like. I didn't even ask you about this. What do you think I give a fuck about the real estate value of that house? (laughs) If I get in a car with my brother, all of a sudden he's a realtor. Meanwhile, he's a fucking framer. But he'll start telling me, "You see that house there? It's worth three point eight million dollars. You see that cool." And you're like, dog, do I look like a fucking realtor to you? Then what do I give a fuck? I go, why do you know? <laughs> why do you know? It drives me crazy. But then I'll... you ask him, what is his job going to get delivered? And he goes, I don't know. I got to look. What do you mean you got to fucking look? No. So you know what that fucking house down the corner is worth. But you don't know when the framework has to get fucking delivered. No. No, it does make you, it makes you kind of an asshole, makes you a little bit more impatient with the world because you, then you start realizing ah, like how time, how fucking quick time's going and someone's telling you this long story and you're like, God damn it. I only have like 50 more years on this earth. I cannot spend another even four minutes finishing this fucking time is money for me now. I'm like, if I'm, I feel guilty at a red light. Like if I'm just sitting at a fucking red light, I'm getting old. All right. Let's uh, these motherfuckers that stop at a yellow get the fuck out of the way. I'm going. Go. I'm dying soon. I'm 60. Where the fuck you think I got time to go? Yeah, it's just an hour drive. An hour. That's two hours. That's two hours less of my fucking time than I got water or anything else. When you're 60, two hours is a week and a half. Fucking week and a half. Yeah. I love I love my jujitsu school. I fucking love it. It's Hollis Gracie. I fucking love it in Old Bridge. The lunch. I know what you're about to say. Okay. There's a bunch of Hollis Gracie schools here. They don't understand. I won't drive a half hour to go do jujitsu. Like I just fucking, I go to Hollis. It's 14 minutes away, but he's got three schools, 20 minutes from me at each direction. And I'd rather just go to the, like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't, it's time. I don't 20 minutes. That's 14 minutes I save if I don't go to your fucking jiu-jitsu school. (laughs) You do the same. Dude, at one point I stopped going to jiu-jitsu classes and just started going to the rolling afterwards because I was like, I I don't have time for the instruction. (laughs) I I was like, I, I also don't learn that way. If I'm watching someone slowly do something, I'm like, show me quick or I won't pick it up. I'll be, the whole time I'll be like angry about waiting so I can't even focus. It does. I don't know why it causes a almost a rage inside of me. My sister came out of the room the other day. She's playing video games. She's like, oh, yeah, I was in the game with this guy and and he pulled out the thing and I, I shot him three times and I reloaded, shot him in the head, shot him in the head. And he's talking shit the whole time. I just love making these guys mad. I'm like, the last sentence would have been great. Like just the last sentence when it told me that whole story. I was playing video games. I shot them. Love making these guys mad. I'm like, I don't need the amount of rounds, how big they were, what gun you used. I'm trying to work on my daughter now because she's a little on the chatty side. <laughs> you know, that's her mother's side. They're a little on the crime stopper side and shit. How old is she? She's 10. 
Wow. But I already fucking, I already started talking to her about think about your words, be conservative, you know, don't give ear beatings. And she just looks at me like she doesn't understand. But I did, I did come clean with her last week about weed. They, she knows. And the cops went to school and talked to her. They've been going every year, but this year they just focused on weed. So she Why? A couple things, you know? She was noticing things around that. I don't smoke in the house, but she could smell the bud. You know, she could smell different things, and she kind of knew. And then she saw a grinder one day with weed in it, and it just stunned her. And then like a week later, we were going to go to eat dinner, her and I. And I said, go upstairs and get ready. I'm going to do a bong hit. I didn't tell her that. But while I was outside doing a bong hit, she came down. And she caught me with the bong in my mouth. I didn't say nothing for like six days to her. And then I felt guilty. Because I remember when I was a kid, I don't know. I knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't tell my friends. I knew what was going on in my house. Yeah. And I knew what was going on in my mother's bar. And it always felt like I still remember waking up in my house as a kid being like 11, walking downstairs to get breakfast. And my mom would be downstairs with my stepfather and 10 other people. And then have an aluminum foil in the middle of the table filled with Coke. And I would walk in there like I didn't see it. I would eat my breakfast around it like I didn't see it. But I saw it. You know, I saw it. And my mother knew I saw it. And I just didn't want her to feel that way. I I don't want her to I wanted her to trust me. So I just sat her down, explained my marijuana use, how it started, how I didn't like it at first. I was real embarrassed because I was a Catholic kid. Your reaction to finding your mom's stuff is um, very similar to how I would have reacted as a kid. And I'm wondering if that's a thing about being a comic, the the anxiety of not wanting to. I want to be honest with my daughter and I want her to know I don't want her to be an asshole. Mm-hmm. Or somebody have to tell her on the street, you know, your dad smokes pot. And she's standing there like a fucking mook the law, not knowing. So it was good. I told her. She understood. I told her not to say nothing to mom. It was just between us. And I asked mom. Mom goes, she hasn't said nothing to me. That's cute. So, no, she's my fucking bodyguard. She's the, I had to do this. Trust me. And I got, listen, I got 20 more things I got to tell her. Yeah. <laughs> you got a list. She knows a lot of shit, but she don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like She knows I got locked up. She doesn't know I had a machine gun and I put a guy in the trunk of a car. She don't know. (laughs) She doesn't know about all the... Uh, Wait till she's 11. (laughs) No, no. She's not ready for that. I don't want her in that world. I grew up in a weird world and I enjoyed it and I would do it all over again. But not her. Not her. The 70s were the 70s. I it's mean, we were, little bit, we were a little slowed down, but I still didn't want her to have that life. I don't want no madness in here. I don't want yelling in here. I don't even, we don't drink at the house. My wife drinks once in a while and I never drink. But mm-hmm. there's no here, you know, so mm-hmm. I just wanted to have a pretty decent place. She what if she wants to do stand up? How would you feel? I think she's going to do something in that realm. I mean, she's a movie buff. So she already tells me, like, she she told me we were going to see the Leonardo DiCaprio De Niro movie. Killers of the... Awesome. She came to me, and she was like, Dad, can we go see it? It's a three-hour movie. We have to go, like, at 5 o'clock. And we went. We go to everything. The Equalizer, she sees everything with me. She's and awesome. It's funny that she has favorite actors. 
it's funny that she geeks out when she goes to the movies and tells me, I shot a movie with your brother, right? I shot a movie with Louis Guzman. <laughs> okay. You know, I re- it was Louis Guzman was in the movie, and so was the girl who's also in Tuesday and Wednesdays. I forget, not Angela, not Ortega, but the other girl that was the original Wednesday. The one that used to date Owen Benjamin. Remember? Oh, oh, Christina Ritchie. Christina Ritchie. So Christina was in the movie, and Louis Guzman was in the movie. So was Kevin James. So I took my daughter to the set one day to see Louis Guzman because she's awesome. like, dude from fucking Wednesday. And she talked to him, but then he goes, do you want to take a picture? She's like, nah, I'm okay. And I was so embarrassed. And on the way home, I go, why don't you get a picture? She goes, because I see how much people bother you for them. Aww. You know, so I don't want to bother him. I go, Mercy, he offered you, you know, take the fucking picture. But she's a movie buff, just like I, bro, this all started because I'm a movie buff. I only like Richard Pryor growing up. What's that? I said, she's so cute for that. She sounds so like into it. That's her thing. Bro, she watches Goodfellas. She watches all that shit for the last two years because Joe Pesci was in Home Alone. Oh, yeah. So I didn't know this. I forgot, you know, I knew this. But one day I got Goodfellas on. She comes downstairs. He's fucking stabbing the guy in the trunk. And I go, Mercy, you got to go upstairs. She's like, why? That's my favorite actor. That's the guy from fucking <laughs> Home Alone. I'm like, oh, shit. She's in. But I look at you girls and I'm like, I wish she has as much fun as you and Sarah. She will. You and Sarah, uh, uh, whenever I see your podcast, I watch it. I always think about 1984. You two girls remind me of when that song came out. Girls want to have fun. Let me tell you something. In 2023, it's one of my favorite songs, especially towards the end when she goes off and shit. But in 1983, 84, when that song came out, I was going to kill my fucking girlfriend. And I would have killed that dirty bitch if I would have seen her in the street. Because when your girlfriend's 19, you don't want your girl to have fun. No. Not jumping up and they come to your house at three in the morning. And it's crazy. That's how we were living at that age. I'd go yeah. to your house at three to come get you. And your father would go, where are you guys going? We're going to the city. All right, be careful with my daughter. We're like, what the fuck? We were six. Wow. Wow. Yeah. People would come over to your house at three in the morning when I was growing up. Let's go to the city. Let's do this. So when I watched that video, I fucking hated that song. I wanted to kill that chick. Girls were having too much fun. Now I look at you and her, and that, that's the first thing that comes to my mind is that Cindy fucking Lauper song. It's great. You guys are doing it right. It's really all I want to do. My whole, the reason I got into stand up in the first place was it seemed like a place where there were no rules and it looked really fun and like something I was good at. So I was like, that's it. I want to have fun the rest of my life. That's my goal. Crazy that I will tell you something. It's crazy that your ovaries are already calling. Like I'm 33. I'm not a I'm not a young baby anymore. Oh my god! I thought you were like yeah. 26. No, I'm 33. My ovaries not only are calling, they're leaving voicemails. Oh shit! <laughs> they're sending texts like, "Hey, are you? Do you have service? What's going on?" You know how many funny girls I work with that were they had a chance. There was a girl in Canada I worked with that was beautiful years ago, 20 years ago. We kept in touch. I forget what her name was. And her boyfriend was really nice. And one day she told me she wanted to have a kid. And I go, so in 10 months, are you going to come do stand-up again? And she goes, maybe. 
Never came back. She became something else or something. It's I just know, weird. I know. The ovaries call. The ovaries call. But I think you got a great fucking future ahead of you. I think yeah. you're the next Sofia Vergara. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I think you're the next Sofia Vergara. I see that. Uh, your little buddy is out of her fucking mind. <laughs> you guys are the real deal. How the fuck Vice or one of these little podcasts having given you a show is beyond me. I know. It's coming. What women need right now. It's exactly what women need. I've turned like 10 women on to your podcast. I love it. In fact, Thank one of them is to reach out to you for a sponsorship where you put boutique. It's called something where you put it in your monkey after you have sex the night before. And this takes out all your speedy, those malos. Whoa. Yeah, it makes it. I need that. <laughs> a monkey freshener? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I always ask her, if I stick it in my mouth and go down on you and spit the little pill in out of your monkey, does it work the same? She's a sweetheart. She's like, Joey, you're so crazy. You cannot <laughs> do that. But it's a good product. I know all the women that use it now. We talk about it around me. Yeah, send her over. We'd love to talk to her. And uh, I love watching you guys, and I love what you're doing, Kim. And it was crazy. That I've known you since 2014, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, even yeah, 2013, 2014. Yeah. That's when I went back to the store and I, yeah, you, know, you were just a young girl. The one day I get there and you're yelling at somebody on the street. Hilarious. <laughs> that was Annie Letterman. <laughs> you yelling at Annie? Yes. No, one day I got there and you, somebody had said something to you. Oh, you got there the day the guy threw the drink at me on stage. Not on stage. It happened on the street. Oh. I don't know. There's been a lot of crazy shit. And I remember you walked past me and I go, oh, that bitch is Puerto Rican. <laughs> and, on, and on that note, thank you so much for coming on to the pod. And good luck to you. Thank, thank you for you. having me on. And Where can people find you? Where can people find me? Twitter, Instagram, Matt Flavor, Facebook, you know. Same Hell shit. Yeah. Same I got no shit. schedule. But I got the book. That's all I got. So you're living the dream. Thank you so much. You know, I love you. I love Thank you, too. Have a pod. great week. God bless you guys. Bye. Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Kimberly Congdon on Instagram at Kim Congdon. Check me out on Patreon.com slash Kim Congdon. Um, my other podcast, This Bitch with Sarah Weinshank, anywhere you find podcasts and then show dates at Kim I will be in Tampa in December, so make sure you come out for that. I'm also filming my special December 7th at Jam in the Van, jaminthevancomedy.com. Uh, and make sure you get tickets for that and support. And thank you, guys. We'll see you next week. Give me, give me